This is the Say the Damn Score podcast with your host, Logan Anderson. What's up, everybody? It is the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard our big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson. And last night, got back, I should say this morning, at about 12.30 from Salisbury, North Carolina, from the NSMA banquet and one-day ticket to sportscasting success put on by the STAA. I'm exhausted running on caffeine and fumes right now, but you know what? I got just enough left to get a podcast out of this, and for that, we're going to bring in special guest Birch Antley. He is the voice of the high school football championships in South Carolina. He's from Columbia. He's also done work for ESPN3 and the SEC Network. Birch, how are you doing today? I am doing outstanding, Logan, and... uh tired a little bit myself, although my drive from Salisbury, North Carolina to Columbia, South Carolina, not as far as Charlotte to Aberdeen, South Dakota. However, I did go 80 miles out of my way because I was listening to the Save the Damn Score podcast and missed the exit from I-85 to I-77 and had to turn around and go back uh, 40 miles later after I realized that I had missed my exit. <laughs> is that actually true, or are you just are you just making that up? Absolutely true. <laughs> Kevin Kugler was that engrossing, and uh, so were you. And once the podcast was finished, I realized I was almost near Spartanburg, South Carolina, going the opposite direction. That's funny. We're going to do this podcast a little bit differently than the normal ones, which is more of an interview where I just ask questions and let the guests run with it. Just because we both went to the NSMA banquet, the NSMA weekend, and we did a lot of the stuff together as far as one-day ticket, and just kind of want to go over that experience, talk about what it's like. But first, we are going to let you tell your story a little bit, because you have a lot of interesting stuff going on, and don't want to shortchange you. The first thing, you have maybe the ultimate sports radio name, Birch. Antley. It sounds like Jack Buck, Chick Hearn, Red Barber, Champ Kind from Anchorman. You know, it just sounds like a, you were meant to be a sportscaster. Have, do you ever get feedback or have anyone talk about that? Well, when I first started in radio back in the small town where I grew up, Batesburg, Leesville, South Carolina, a little 5,000-watt AM radio station with a country-western format amongst other formats, you could pretty much do whatever you wanted to do there. I had to learn to separate my first name and last name. My last name, Birch, just happens to be, or my first name, Birch, just happens to be a last name as well. It's my maternal grandmother's maiden name. So I had to learn to pause in between Birch and Antley because I used to get mail to the radio station addressed to Burr Chantley, C-H-A-N-T-L-E-Y. So I learned very, very quickly and very early to pause just momentarily between Birch and Antley so folks could address their hate mail to me correctly. <laughs> yeah, I doubt you ever got any hate mail, but give us your story of your break into the business. That's the one thing that I want to know from pretty much everybody who comes on this podcast. What was your break? How did you get into your first job? Because everyone's is different and I, I want to know what yours is, and I'm sure that our eagerly awaiting tens of listeners want to know what yours is. It was just 
you know, being in the right place at the right time, growing up in a small town, and being a kind of kid that was loved to talk and run his mouth, and having a mother who was a guidance counselor at the high school, who was friends with the public relations director for the school system that I grew up in, Judy Turner Fox, and uh, every week, Judy Turner Fox would go to WBLR AM fourteen thirty in Batesburg, Leesville, and record a thirty-minute segment on the news from Lexington School District Three. She would put it on reel to reel, and she just happened to be asked by the general manager one day, "Hey, Judy, do you have any kids over there that are kind of loudmouths that like to talk a lot, really don't listen to, to, to in class, but have the time to maybe come over and?" run the board and do odds and ends for maybe below minimum wage if they're lucky. And she said, yes, I happen to have a kid in mind. I went to my mother, talked about it. My mother comes up to me at supper and says, hey, you've got a job interview tomorrow. It's at the local radio station. I had never, ever thought about going into this line of work until I met with Red Reynolds, the general manager, and he gave me the job on the spot. And it just bit me. I got the bug at a very early age, at the age of 15, uh, running the board and was even allowed to open the mic and give the weather and the time and after every two songs, who it was. Uh, And then when I was, oh, 15 and a half, getting near 16, uh, we had a guy that did play-by-play for basketball uh, who would make the drive from Columbia. He was a professional sportscaster. His name was Bob Sanders. And I said, hey, if I uh, carry the equipment, uh, do you mind if I tag along and maybe, I don't know, do color commentary for you? He said, sure, come on over. I think he was more excited that he had somebody that could carry the 50-pound Marty box and the two poles and antenna as opposed to him. Uh, So the first half, I shut my mouth and learned as much as I could. And the second half, he let me talk. And from there, uh, I worked at a station that if you could sell it, it, we would air it. So my first play-by-play experience was uh, T-ball, actually, and I learned then how to tell stories because you literally had kids in right field that were picking flowers, a kid in center field who was taking a nap, and then when the ball is hit, all nine players go for it. So you learn to tell stories quickly. Uh, and I just really fell in love with sports casting and calling play-by-play uh, there at, a, at an early age. Really did not get serious about it career-wise uh, until uh, I reached my 30s. I want to interrupt you here. I don't know if you were going to keep going there or not, but do you remember what some of the stories you told in the middle of a t-ball game with five- and six-year-olds were? I would uh, describe what kind of flowers that the dandelions were really growing nicely, that the civitans obviously had run out of gas in the lawnmower out in the left field because the grass was a little bit higher there. Uh, would describe uh, what kind of glove makes the better pillow. Uh, things like that uh, just would try to be quirky and funny. Uh, probably sounded really stupid because I don't think I knew exactly what I was talking about. And then uh, I would try to model myself as much as possible after the people I grew up listening to and my influences. 
they still have major influence on me today. I have uh, tried to hone my craft around what they did, but not necessarily copy them word for word, which I was doing at the age of 15 or 16, and that would be Bob Fulton, the longtime radio voice of the University of South Carolina Athletics. He called baseball, basketball, and football. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up because uh, we got WTVS on our cable station, and we got ESPN. And at that time, ESPN, it was old AWA wrestling or Australian rules football, and that was about all you got to watch. Uh, and then, of course, WTBS out of Atlanta, the Superstation, it was 7.05 every Saturday, Worldwide Wrestling. So uh, Gordon Soley was a huge influence on me, as well as Bob Cottle, another uh, old-time, world-class wrestling announcer who happened to be a weatherman out of Raleigh, North Carolina. So, uh, you know, I would listen to these guys and would try to blend their styles. Uh, the very first basketball game I called. I'm going to I'm going to cut you off again. I'm going to cut you off, Birch. Tell me more about wrestling play by play. How did you figure out how to do that? Did you know what all the moves were called going into it? It just seems to me like that would be very difficult. How did you figure that out? Well, yeah, I did. Uh, started you know doing wrestling play by play for the South Carolina High School League state championships back in 2010, and I had never done wrestling play by play before. The, of course, I had seen wrestling in the Olympics, and I had, of course, seen what we as Americans call wrestling, which is really sport entertainment, uh, <laughs> is what Vince McMahon calls it. But a lot of the moves were very, very similar. Growing up, uh, uh, Gordon Soley would describe the play as opposed to the suplex. Uh, <laughs> and you know, some of those moves were, were very similar, but uh, I was able to do that first broadcast, professional broadcast of wrestling as a sport in high school uh, with a very good analyst who was a former coach who uh, I, I just really let him drive that broadcast, that first broadcast, so I could hear from him the terminology and how you break down one move to the other. And I was more of a traffic cop, which in a sense, uh, is what a good, I think, TV play-by-play guy should be to begin with. Is You're there to really just kind of be the, be the traffic cop and let the analyst break down the fundamentals, uh, and, and then you provide the, the extra color while you're painting inside the line. Uh, you're not painting as much of a picture, I don't believe, on TV as you are with radio, uh, although the way digital distribution has become right now, I think you still have to kind of call a game almost like you're doing it uh, as a radio broadcast. But that's where I really got, you know, the fundamentals of, of wrestling. And it was kind of a throwback to, you know, watching uh, Luthez and Blackjack Mulligan and all of these guys when I was seven or eight years old and listening to Bob Cottle and, and Gordon Soley explain uh, the, the punch to the solar plexus and, uh, Head and collar takedown, you know. So uh, I did get a lot of uh, information that I could kind of translate, you know, 20 years later into a high school state championship wrestling match. So you are the high school play-by-play announcer in the state of South Carolina for football and I believe basketball as well. You do all the state championships 
for the National Federation of High Schools. And that's kind of your your bread and butter that you really, really enjoy. What is it about the the high school competition that you love so much? Because it is so pure, and 95% of the athletes that you're going to cover, that's it for them. The state championship games is the highlight of their career, and it is going to be what they are going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. It's going to be the stories that they're going to tell their grandkids that guess what your grandfather did. He rushed for 45 yards and, and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter of the state championship game uh, against so-and-so. And you know what? I've got it on DVD. Let's go watch it. Uh, whereas, you know, they're, they're never going to suit up again. That's the pinnacle of their career. Whereas the other 5% that are going to be fortunate enough to go on to college or professionally uh, and make names of themselves, I get to see them when they were fresh. Uh, For example, the University of South Carolina women's basketball team, which has been outstandingly successful uh, recently, uh, mainly because of four starters from the state of South Carolina, all four I happen to call playoff play for in state championship games or state semifinal games. Uh, Elena Coates, for example, I have had called playoff play for her since she was in the seventh grade. So I can see her career progress. I got to see Jadavian Clowney play in a state championship game in football, and I got to see Jadavian Clowney run the anchor leg in the 4-by-100-meter relay while I was doing a track uh, state championship broadcast. So for me, that is super cool, getting to see their next step uh, in a state championship game that Jadavian Clowney played in. Uh, the opposing quarterback from Myrtle Beach High School, Everett Dolson, who winds up playing quarterback for Notre Dame in a national championship game. So for me, that is really cool getting to see how their careers progress and where it started. And I not, not only just do you know football and basketball, unfortunately for South Carolina high school sports fans, I am the guy for everything. Uh, I do lacrosse, I do wrestling, track and field, competitive cheer, swimming, uh, I'm leaving several sports out, volleyball, uh, you name it. If it's a state championship sport and it's not tennis or golf, it is going to be broadcast from the NFHS network, and usually I'm going to be your play by play announcer. So when you're going into a sport that you've never seen before, where do you start your research? Where most people start everything, Wikipedia. <laughs> it begins with Wikipedia. It begins with... A Google search, and then it progresses from there. Uh, you know, you get the basics down. You call other broadcasters that you know um, that have done similar sports. Uh, that's why John Chalesnik's, uh service and the membership of the Sportscasters Talent Agency of America is so vital for our industry because... That'll cost you $10, John. Keep it, going. It certainly will. It may even cost them 15 <laughs> But there... You know, if I have not done lacrosse before, I know that I can reach out to John or I can just go straight to the site and find somebody who has experience and reach out to them and see what they do. Uh, How is your style? Do you need some pointers? What's some terminology that you use that I may not be familiar with? What are some charts that you use that I may not be familiar with? Uh, So, you know, I can reach out to uh, someone and, 
Aberdeen, South Dakota, and and find out well how do you uh, handle women's basketball? I've yet to call women's basketball. Um, tell me tell me some secrets there, Logan. Uh, so you know that's why I think having that community available to us is so vital for for our industry. So you've also done work for ESPN three and the SEC network in baseball, softball, and lacrosse. How did you fall into that position? What was your break to start getting involved with those big networks? Again, just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, for the SEC network, I delivered nine softball broadcasts and two baseball broadcasts this year uh, in February and March that were part of the digital SEC network, SEC Network Plus and ESPN3 and for the NAIA network, I did the first ever National Lacrosse Invitational Men's and Women's, which just happened to be held in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, so I had nine years experience, in, or excuse me, seven years experience in playoff play for lacrosse here in South Carolina. So, uh, you know, I just had the luxury of being close by <laughs> with experience. Uh, so that's how that fell into place. And then with, you know, the SEC Network Plus, uh, and ESPN three broadcasts of, of Division one Power Five conference baseball and softball, two teams that both made the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, South Carolina uh, being, of course, here in Columbia, and it just so happened that I had sub- been submitting a lot of my tape to the university because they helped choose the talent for those digital delivered broadcasts. Uh, and just waited my turn and kept with the philosophy of every broadcast could be the one that is being watched by somebody that is ready to hire me for something a little bit bigger. And it just so turned out that uh, the executive director and, and executive producer for South Carolina Live Productions, which handles the SEC Network Plus digital delivery as far as choosing the talent and the production side. Uh, His wife happened to work for the South Carolina High School League, and he was aware of my broadcast background and was able to watch some of my tape because I I try to keep my demo reels current and reached out to uh, STAA on on my talent profile page for more and gave me a call and said, 10 more dollars john interested in? and i said yes you bet you i would be and i was professional about it uh obviously uh i guess i impressed them somewhat because they asked me to come back for a few more ball games and and hopefully they'll ask me to, to return next year so have you gotten any feedback from the ESPN3 people, from the SEC Network people, the people at South Carolina who are involved in that decision? Have you gotten feedback on what they liked or didn't like and whether they are looking to hire you for more in the future? Yeah, I did get feedback from the folks with the University of South Carolina, and I did get some feedback from the other teams because you still have to approach that broadcast as uh, fair and balanced 
and as middle of the road as possible. You're not broadcasting for the University of South Carolina. You're not affiliated with the University of South Carolina. You just happen to be local talent that they were able to identify. Uh, so I was you know, not calling the games as a lean one way or the other, as a good play-by-play man should do or play-by-play uh, uh, gal should do. Uh, so I got some great feedback from, from other schools as well uh, that were a part of the broadcast. Uh, and mainly I think what they were impressed with was that I would listen to the director and listen to the producer and let them drive the ship and that I would lean on the analyst. Uh, I'm always trying to protect my analyst and always trying to protect the guys in the truck. Uh, if you make them look good, uh, you'll make the broadcast look good. And, of course, uh, I'm not one to really harp on any sort of mistake uh, that a player or an official will make because I played high school sports and I wasn't very good. So I know uh, how difficult it is to do uh, those types of things. Uh, and I just don't think that the viewer really cares that much to – to see or hear someone bringing down uh, a high school or a college player for making one simple mistake when we make mistakes in our lives a thousand times a day. Uh, we just don't happen to have a camera in front of us. Uh, most of us don't. So I, I think I got good feedback from, from those folks as far as uh, the professionalism is, is how I approach the broadcast, the preparation that I put into the broadcast, um, my biggest compliment that I've ever gotten in my career, Logan, is from my analyst that I've worked with for a long time, for a long time uh, especially with the NFHS network broadcasts that have always said nobody will out-prepare for Chantley. And that, to me, is the best compliment I could ever get. Okay, so I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to start talking about you know, the time that we spent at the events in Salisbury, North Carolina. I was jokingly saying that John's going to owe me $10 every time we mention his name. Now we're going to talk about his entire event, so he might as well just uh, send us this month's revenue and we'll split it, Birch. But we'll start off and with the one... He's going to have to start paying up, too. <laughs> so we'll start off with what we did leading up to the weekend, because I was able to come in on Friday... And you actually were generous enough to offer me the invitation to stay in your home, show me around Columbia, South Carolina a little bit, showed me the South Carolina football stadium that looked like a beach. We took the tour through the Firefly Stadium, saw that they left the bar on. Uh, you know, a lot of fun stuff. What went through to this issue? We know each other a little bit. But what made you decide to extend that invitation with uh, the limited relationship we had? Well, I knew that uh, it's a long... Like what if I was really weird? It, well, you're, you're somewhat weird, but not <laughs> completely weird. And, and that really doesn't bother me. I kind of like to have some weird guys around now and then. But uh, I, I knew it's going to be a long weekend and that maybe you wanted to see uh, SEC country. I knew that you had, uh, the last couple of times, had, had taken some jaunts out to Chapel Hill and, and to see uh, the University of North Carolina facilities and... And I just thought that, you know, Logan would probably enjoy coming over to South Carolina. It's an hour and 15-minute drive down I-77 from the Charlotte International Airport to Columbia. Uh, plus, I, I, I just 
I know that in our industry, sometimes it, it takes a lot to make these trips as far as uh, the financial resources that are available. And so I figured, you know, it, it might help Logan out. Uh, I would like to learn more about Logan, uh, play around with some sports trivia and, and talk about podcasting and sports casting and uh, the things that we're both interested in. And plus, I wanted you to have some real barbecue. You know, what they feed you up in Salisbury uh, doesn't really compare to where barbecue was really invented, which is in the state of South Carolina. At least that's what the uh, president of the South Carolina Barbecue Association will tell you. So let's go there. The barbecue in South Carolina that we had in Columbia was, you know, made out of mustard, the sauce was, and the stuff that they do in North Carolina is vinegar-based. Why? Give us some reasons why the mustard-based barbecue is better. It just goes well on a pig. <laughs> I bet the pig There's disagrees. Nothing, <laughs> the pig probably does disagree, but by that time, they really don't have any choice in the matter. But there are parts of South Carolina that, that uh, will do the vinegar and crushed red pepper-based sauce. It's usually the eastern part of the state of South Carolina. We do have, uh, we, what we have is three different sauce zones, so to speak. I did actually did a wonderful uh, speech uh, and, and research paper on this in college uh, for, my, uh, for, my, for one of my, my speech classes, made an A. I think it was the only A I ever made in that class. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we've got three different sauce zones, and the Columbia area just happens to be the one with the mustard and that just goes so well uh, with chopped pork uh, that it's just unbelievable. And where it comes from, uh, for barbecue nerds out there, is there was a, a lot of German immigrants that came uh, into South Carolina in the 1700s uh, that moved into the middle portion of the state, and they just happened to bring spicy mustard with them and sausages, and, and that's how it, it developed into putting it on your Hickory smoked, pulled, chopped pork. <laughs> so you didn't go the to... The things you learn on this podcast are unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it does get off on some uh, strange tangents, and I'm all for that. So, to me, sportscasting, it's not really that... I take it very seriously, but it's really not a serious job, as Mike Emmerich said. It's an escape for most people, so you've got to be able to go off target a little bit and have some storytelling fun. So I was able to go to the Legacy Night where they gave the award to the Boston Globe and they had the Boston Globe people, Bob Ryan, Leslie Visser, Lee Montville, and Vince Doria, just kind of doing a panel discussion. You were not able to go to that, and so I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent again here is that I was really impressed with that. I wasn't entirely sure what they were going to do because they moved it from... Hendrix Motorsports last year, which was really cool, and they were kind of talking about the legacy of Stuart Scott, who had very recently passed away, and I was kind of wondering what they were going to do, because it was an interesting discussion, but there wasn't maybe someone of his stature who had passed away. They talked about Bud Collins a little bit uh, as part of the event, but it was very, very interesting. They told a lot of fun stories I wasn't necessarily around for the golden age of the Boston Globe. You have a few years on me. 
What did their reporting and just kind of their style of journalism mean to you when back when it was fresh and it was live in the kind of early to mid-80s? Uh, you know, you, that's an excellent question. And, you know, it's, it's not something where, you know, I was reading the Boston Globe every day. It's not something that you subscribe to when you're uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I did grow up, however a Boston Red Sox fan, along with being a huge fan of the Atlanta Braves. And, and the reason being is Jim Rice uh, was from Anderson, South Carolina. And I loved the way he played the game. And he was a South Carolina native. And he was in the outfield with Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, so that's, you know, a baseball team that I really gravitated to uh, as a young kid growing up. And so from time to time, I, I would sneak off to the library, and they would get a subscription to the Boston Globe, although it would arrive a few days late. Uh, and I do remember reading some of those columns and keeping up with just the way that uh, the stories were told, how the language was uh, so important. Uh, that's the one thing that I admire the most about the scribes and, and the job that they do is that they are not telling the story the way a play-by-play announcer or a sportscaster is telling that story, it is so much more difficult to put it into long form than to be able to have it come out of your mouth uh, so quickly, although that is so difficult, too. I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to be uh, a successful play-by-play announcer because you're out there without a safety net. Uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of, of having a proofreader uh, or a copywriter, um, copy editor that, you know, a, a sports writer has, although the sports writer has the most difficult task of not only trying to say what they want to say, but to do so within a certain space and keeping in mind of how the layout and the print job is going to be whenever they're crafting their story. So, you know, I remember reading Bob Ryan and how he would just craft the language, and and then, of course, watching him later as a panelist uh, on various ESPN shows, uh, and, of course, Leslie Visser uh, and others. So uh, it, it did have a tremendous impact. That, that's one thing that I did as a kid and still do to, to this day is I try to read as much as possible because if you – uh, forget how to do that. Um, you're not going to be able to be successful in speaking about what is going on in front of your eyes. That's interesting that you say that just because one of the discussions we did have that I'm very curious. I ask a lot of questions. That's what I do. It's not just on the podcast. It's in real life. But you have a dog named Scout. And I asked where you came up with the name Scout. And it's actually from reading uh, the To Kill a Mockingbird character, uh, Scout Finch. How important do you think reading fiction is instead of just reading journalism for play-by-play? It's where you get that storytelling from. Uh, you know, that's what fiction is all about. And it's also part of the escapism that Doc Emmerich mentioned uh, at the SCAA seminar uh, on Monday of this past week it, in Salisbury, North Carolina, it, it's, you learn how you can 
spin a yarn. And especially in a blowout, that is when you really prove if you're cut out for this business, I think. And that's not to say that, uh, you know, I am somebody that is such a great play-by-play announcer. I'm not. There's a lot of things that I have to work at that I want to get better on. Uh, And I think that there's a lot of us out there that do that. And and everybody that goes to these events, I admire them so much because it proves that they want, that they take this industry seriously and that they feel like they can get better and they want to get better regardless of how many years they have uh, behind the microphone or behind the camera. Uh, and, And reading fiction, whether it's science fiction, I believe that's probably one of the, one of your favorite genres, or, or whether it's crime fiction, or even if it's uh, historical fiction, or whatever, as long as you're reading something um, and you're learning new vocabulary and how to use the English language correctly, uh, yeah, I'm not as much of a Mark Boyle stickler, <laughs> and I'm certainly not a wordsmith like Doc Emmerich. Nobody is, uh, but. I think you have to not only listen to what's around you, uh, but you also have to read what's around you, too. And, and I think not only reading, but when I say listening to the world around you, I try to be a sponge um, as much as possible. Uh, if I have a friend who is in the contracting business, I want to know what they talk about because that is my audience. And I want to know what is the popular song right now with the with the 19 year old crowd because I want to be able to use those as frames of reference because my audience nine times out of ten will get it they're not all sports fans they're not all lacrosse experts they're usually parents or friends and to make a broadcast interesting sometimes I think you have to delineate from sports and bring in something that's current or something that uh, is historical that will give them perspective more than the X's and O's. So one of the things I like about the NSMA weekend and about the one-day ticket weekend, that maybe it's not as big a deal for you being from the region, but to me it gives, there's a lot of downtime, especially the first couple of days. If you get there on Friday and Saturday, Sunday morning is pretty easy to to uh, find something else to do in the area. And we talked about going to uh, South Carolina and getting a tour. I was able to go on a golf marathon, did 27 holes with John Thayer and Adam Hildebrandt, uh, went to the barbecue that was part of it. I don't want to get deep into that. That doesn't matter. But did you do anything out of the ordinary being from the area uh, Sunday the morning of? I got a haircut. I went to... You're living on the wild side. I am. I am. I went to 10 different stores in Salisbury, North Carolina. Bless their hearts. Whoever it is that is calling play-by-play for Catawba College and and Salisbury High School, uh, where they get their equipment from, uh, bless their hearts, because they're going to have to go to Charlotte. or We'll have to go to Concord, North Carolina. I went to 10 different stores that day looking for a uh, quarter-inch headphone adapter plug. And uh, finally found one that came in a set that uh, cost me 10 bucks when it should really only cost about a dollar. And I got the last one in town. So the reason you were doing oh, so the reason you were doing that was because you let John Chelesnick of STAA, 10 more dollars. 
use your personal equipment from your home studio to help uh, to help run his event. And part of the advantage of that was Chris Berman and Doc Emmerich got to use your equipment. What are you doing with the microphones they talked into? I am uh, framing them. They are being retired. I could never use them again because, uh, you know, this, uh, you, you just cannot pull Excalibur out of the rock unless you're King Arthur, and I'm far from being King Arthur. And those microphones are now Excalibur-level microphones. Uh, and, and, and West Durham held it as well, and uh, West Durham uh, talked to us about how he owns a thousand Sharpies, and, and I'm the same way. I'm a huge ink nerd. I love getting new pens and markers, and I just found mechanical pencils with colored lead that looks so good in my Bob Carpenter baseball scorebook that I use for my SEC Network broadcast. I've been looking for those for years and finally found them. They only make them and sell them in Japan, uh, so I'll have to, to key in Wes on those. Uh, and that was the only day I did not bring a silver Sharpie. Otherwise, I could have had uh, asked Chris and, and Doc Emmerich if they would have signed those microphones to make it better. But I do have picture evidence, photo evidence, that they were holding and using my microphones. So there was a lot of stuff that went on at the one-day ticket seminar that we're talking about right now. There was a critique session with Tom Bowman and Chris Ferris and Howie Denneroff who talked about people's play-by-play from the viewpoint of someone who might hire them. And then we had Mark Boyle and Dave Snell, Mark Boyle of the Pacers, Dave Snell of Bradley University, and Tony Castricone of Clemson talk about how they gave critiques of play-by-play from the viewpoint of another play-by-play person saying how to get better. They had Wes Durham speak. They had Chris Berman speak. They had Doc Emmerich speak. What did you find the most valuable at the one-day ticket? For me, it was Stoss Hall. I forgot about that. (laughs) Because that is where I want to take the next step into my career uh, is to continue on the ladder of college sports. Uh, And and I have kind of settled in behind the camera now. I still call, uh, still do radio play-by-play for the Batesburg Louisville High School Football Panthers, where I went to high school, where I first honed my craft. Uh, I love going back home to do those games, and, and plus I'm able to get the reps in. you got to keep in mind when I do lacrosse, when I do track and field, when I do uh, swimming, when I do basketball, uh, that's usually the only reps I get is the state championship games. Um, so I want to uh, you know, keep my reps in so I continue to do the radio broadcasts for high school football uh, with Batesburg-Leesville. But I want to continue my evolution and progress uh, behind the camera. I've just kind of settled in, and that's where I feel like I'm most comfortable now and where I have more to, to offer a potential employer uh, and, and more to offer the, the audience. So Stoss Hall, to me, was just amazing. Uh, he really blew me away with a lot of the insights, what it is that he is looking for, and how much he has to juggle. Uh, it is unbelievable uh, to me of, of how far and wide he has to search to find someone who is capable of meeting the ESPN standards. Uh, and then you had some guys in that room who were there. Uh, Kendall Lewis from, from North Carolina 
Darren Goldwater from Charleston, South Carolina. These guys are very good, experienced broadcasters, uh, especially Darren Goldwater, who's been around for uh, quite a while. Uh, and then Kendall Lewis, who's uh, been doing this for several years now for Pfeiffer College in North Carolina and ESPN3. Uh, so you had some guys that, that you know, were there that uh, aren't you know, typical up-and-comers, as some people might say that crowd was. It's far from it. That crowd is so uh, blended with, with talent, with new talent, with, with middle of the talent that's been there for you know, five to ten years and, and guys that have been in this business for, for 20 or 25, maybe even 30 years. That's another thing that I love about uh, the one-day ticket is that it's so diverse uh, and, and you can learn from, from somebody who is just coming into the business to somebody who has been there for, for 30 years. Uh, so uh, that's another thing that I think is so impressive uh, about that event. But uh, Scott Hall blew me away, uh, and, and really every panelist did. I, I loved hearing from, from Howard Dinneroff. Uh, you know, Tom Bowman is always fun to listen to and always is going to break it down and as real as you can be. Uh, it was great hearing from Mark Boyle, uh, although, you know, I, I am not the grammar guru, and I am from Columbia, South Carolina. Bless my little heart, sometimes I will lose that G every now and then, <laughs> uh, but that's just how we talk down here. <laughs> and uh, so I, I hope Mark Boyle will forgive me if he is listening to this broadcast, and I do not say listening uh, and, and say listening, but uh, I, I, every body on that panel was amazing and then of course when when doc emmerich walks into the room and you don't know he's going to be there and how genuine he is and how down to earth he is the same thing with chris berman how genuine of a person he is uh, you don't really as a casual viewer you don't really get to know them as a person and it's one way to come across on screen or, or over the camera uh and it's a different way to come across face to face and just how generous they were of their time, of their talents, and how you could tell that they are passionate about giving back to the industry that has given so much to them, uh, and, and that they knew the trials and tribulations of everyone that has that was in that room, uh, and especially with Wes, uh, Wes Durham of the Atlanta Falcons, um, how genuine he was, and, and uh, one thing that I, I took away the most, I think, was what Wes said and what Chris Berman said was, you know what, you, you, you don't want to have career regret. If you think you can do it, keep doing it until somebody says you can't. And hopefully nobody will ever tell you you can't. Because if you have chosen this line of work, uh, you have been put on the air for a reason. You've, you've got talent to begin with. Everybody that is behind the mic has to have some sort of talent. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Uh, but just keep honing your craft, keep getting better, bide your time, wait, and an opportunity will come. I was really surprised. You hear about how ESPN and how the top-level announcers are just full of ego, full of ego, and I've really not noticed that, and maybe it's because when people come to this event as a state winner or a Hall of Fame entrant, they're just in a really good mood, and you're not catching them on a bad day. But I've been... I should say pleasantly surprised that most of these people that you're watching on TV and you're saying, oh, I'd love to be in his position someday, are basically the same people on the air as they are off the air. Indeed, yeah. And, and you know, 
Doc Emmerich, Wes, uh, everybody on the panel, uh, uh, of course, Chris Berman. They weren't trying to big-time anybody. Uh, they were trying to share their story, and they were just happy to be in the room with a bunch of like-minded folks uh, that want to learn from them and, and have been in the same career path at one time or another. When Doc Emmerich mentioned you know, he had to drive from one state to the other just trying to get a hockey job because that's what he wanted to do, was he just wanted to do hockey. And then Chris Berman making $28 a night on the major NBC affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut, and then moving over to this brand-new network, uh, ESPN, in 1979, and having to drive through the snow in Bristol, Connecticut, to work at 3 o'clock in the morning and then do play-by-play for darts. It, it's just, you know, that's something we've all done, and it's something that we will continue to do uh, until we get to where we may want to be. And I, I think what was so impressive with West Durham is, you know, this guy has done it all, and he wants to do high school football because it's challenging to him, and he wants to know that it's something that he can do, and, and he says, you know, I think it's the hardest thing there is uh, to call high school football because you may not have a roster, <laughs> and we all know that. The, the guys that have come up in the industry calling, especially small-town high school sports, uh, you know, West Durham doing that to me says this guy is the cream of the crop. He is a real genuine person, and he takes this industry as seriously as I do. So the final event of the event was the NSMA Hall of Fame banquet, and it's a long banquet. There's a good dinner involved, and everyone gives a lot of really long speeches. Well, what was your takeaway on your experience? Actually, before we go to your takeaway from the experience, it's assigned seating, and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes you're sitting by, it's always by like-minded people that you're going to enjoy spending time with, but sometimes you're by somebody famous that you can name drop, sometimes you're not. Who are you by at your table? I was with a great young sportscaster from uh, Florida who is a sports anchor that has a lot of talent um, and is going to make a lot of waves in this business, I believe, is uh as far as you know, sitting behind the anchor desk and doing reporting, that's where really his passion is. That's Greg Brozazowski, who is an Elon College graduate. Uh, so he was very familiar with, with North Carolina, but you know, he's from the state of New Jersey, I believe, and is now working for an NBC affiliate down in Panama City Beach, Florida, and wants to get back, I think, maybe one day a little bit closer to home. And, and you know, he's, he's somebody that I was really, really impressed with that was – uh, you know, a good listener. He wanted to be a sponge. He wanted to find out what he could do to to make him a better sportscaster and uh, wants to find out about you as a person. And he was somebody that, you know, I really uh, was glad I was paired up with at the table and also uh, the voice of uh, Eastern Washington University, who happened to be the, the winner of the Washington State's sportscaster of the year uh and you know that's larry weir and you know the stories that larry weir can tell you are just amazing <laughs> uh, i was fortunate enough to have him uh seated to my left and then the young up-and-comer uh he's not that young you know but uh, greg is is a really really good guy and he was to my right and we just were able to uh, sit 
chit chat, enjoy some shrimp and steak, and and talk about the business, and and then you shut up whenever the uh, big time speakers come up, and enjoy yourself, and it's just an unbelievable weekend. So I was able to sit next to the South Carolina winner, uh, Rick Henry. You probably know. I, I'm pretty sure that was his name. I and a lot work of for Rick Henry. What? I used to work for him. And, yeah, uh, he said you were saying bad things. He said you were saying bad things about me. I was. I was. But he actually and, uh, was laughing at me because my name tag, as we joked about all the whole time, said Aberdeen, South Carolina. And as the South Carolina winner, he was trying to figure out where the hell Aberdeen, South Carolina was and couldn't do it. And then when I told him it wasn't there, he was, I think, a little bit relieved. But it was a really good experience. I was also with the state winner from South Dakota, ironically enough. So we had a lot to talk about there. What was your... Is that not you? No, no, definitely not me. I'm like the last place state winner. <laughs> it needs to be. I think they need to uh, to to change uh, maybe the rules on if you can vote for yourself or not. <laughs> yeah, I'd still only get one, but that's okay. What was your takeaway from the speakers at the event? There's a lot of them, and it gets long, but if you listen and pay attention and can overcome how hot that gym gets, they say a lot of valuable things. What did you take out of it? I took out of it that uh, after I finished my dessert, I left. Uh, so unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to hear all of the speakers. Uh, transparency is what, what this is all about. Right? I was going to say, the storytelling uh, is what this is all about. Make it up so Dave Gorin stay on his good side. Well, you know, if Dave <laughs> Gorin moves me up a table or two, you know, that's the one great thing about being in the back of the room is that if you need to get up and go, uh, you can do that. Uh, it had just the, the the long weekend had finally just kind of caught up to me, uh, and I, I also, to be honest, I didn't want I, to top uh, the STAA event with the way that closed with Wes and then Doc and then Chris. Um, it's like you know, shooting a uh, hitting a birdie on your final hole after 18 holes of golf. Oh, don't worry, I didn't have any of those on my 18 holes. Yeah, you want to stop right there. So uh, I, I had to, after the dessert, I, I just reached a point where it was time for me to, to go. So really can't uh, elaborate, unfortunately, uh, on, the, on the speeches of the, of the night. So did you make friends at the mixers with anybody that you want to name drop? This is your chance. We're going to be the, you know, the pardon my take Michael Wilbon name drop of the day from Barstool Sports. Yeah, I got to um, see Justin Swallows again from uh, Kentucky. This is a, a, a guy that I think is doing some good stuff uh, over in Western Kentucky in radio. Um, the voice of the Chippewas uh, from from uh, Michigan is doing some really cool things. Uh, of course, it's always good to see Sanderson and, and what he's doing. But, um, you know, I like to try to introduce myself to – to guys that are just coming into this business and seeing if you know there's any way that I can possibly help them, I don't know if I can. Um, but you know, if there's a pointer or two that I could give them, or at least just kind of give them some confidence to to keep going. I, I got to know uh, Kendall Lewis a little bit better, which um, he's got a huge career ahead of him. I think down the road, um, is already just doing amazing things, especially as uh, with his with his age. Uh, you know, the, the women's play-by-play announcer for, for Ole Miss. There's 
so many people. I don't want to, you know, forget anyone or, or not mention anyone. Um, but it's so much fun to just get out and, and meet people and, and see what they're doing. And Barry Gresham from Austin P. Uh, he heads up one of the folks that heads up that communications department there, and he's also the voice of the Austin P. Colonels. Um, what he is doing and what that communications department is doing. Uh, there was a, a, a kid that, that I believe Wes Durham called him Donahue, who was carrying the microphone around, <laughs> the wireless mic, and, and uh, he's 19 years old and asked the most profound question of anyone in that room. Christian Christensen is his name. And he asked. I wonder Dr. if he's Murray, Danish. Berman, the, uh, probably is. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he looked good, too. He's got the face for TV. Uh, and he's got a great voice, too, and he's 19 years old. And he asked the most profound, well-thought-out question that anybody had asked, I thought, those two Hall of Fame sportscasters, and it had to do with how do you balance your career and your life? And this is something that a 19-year-old kid is thinking about. I was just blown away with it. Okay, well, we are just about done. I guess I should give my, like, one name drop, and uh, most of them were the same ones as you, but I, I got a chuckle out of it. I had Mitch Stroman, the Northern Arizona play-by-play guy, Division One out of the Big Sky, and he came up to me and was like, I love your podcast. I wanted to meet you, and I'm like, this is ass-backwards. I should be, like, coming up and talking to you and asking you to <laughs> say, and I want to meet you. I thought that was really strange. The podcast was the most popular topic of conversation at every mixer that I went to, Logan. And uh, he's a great guy, too. I got to, to chat with him as well uh, and, and talk about some things in, in northern Arizona and what a cool place that is in Flagstaff. And, and he's got a great voice and is so, so talented as well. Uh, it was fun talking with him, with Mitch, and, and everybody that I talked to when I would say, yeah, I had Logan Anderson uh, showed him around Columbia, South Carolina. Well, did he have any secrets about his podcast? That's the only thing I listened to. So you were the most popular talked-about subject of the weekend. If this wasn't radio, could see that I'm blushing, and I don't necessarily agree. But one thing I do want to do before I let you go is I want to get one broadcasting horror story from you. I'd love hearing those from everyone, and we kind of changed the format, did something different this time through, just because we just both got back from the one-day ticket and uh, National Sports Media Association weekend that we are trying to support and that I value very much. I've gone three years in a row, but I do want to get to your horror story before I let you go, so I'm going to let you do that now. And horror story as far as... Just something that went horribly, horribly wrong during a broadcast. Like weird broadcast location or... The weirdest broadcast location that I would have to to say, and if you've done high school sports, everybody has done play-by-play on top of a roof of a field house or in the bed of a pickup truck or in the stands, but... I did, uh, and this was for a TV broadcast for the NFHS Network. I was on top of a scissor lift on the third base side behind the wooden bleachers, and the scissor lift would not go down once you got it up there. (laughs) Uh, You could only control it from the ground. 
and uh, it got pretty windy at times, and there was me and a camera operator on the scissor lift with a rope that would keep you in the scissor lift. If you went over the rope, you would go off the scissor lift. So you had to be very, very still. Uh, I'm the type of guy that likes to stand when I'm doing play-by-play, and I also like to keep my own book, obviously, whenever I'm doing baseball or softball. So that was probably the weirdest location. Uh, there was no fence in front of me, so I had to be aware of, of foul balls, head on a swivel all the time. Uh, and this was also right around the time when, uh, unfortunately, the Notre Dame uh, videographer had that horrible windstorm that came and took, he was on a scissor lift and it, uh, wound up to be wound up being a, a very tragic accident. This was like right around the same time. Uh, thankfully, OSHA wasn't around, but uh, that was a, a very, very weird broadcast location. But the biggest horror story I would have to say, Logan, is uh, doing a high school game one time in Swansea, South Carolina. We were in the press box. A lady comes in, looks in our booth, walks in, changes her baby's diaper while we were calling play play in the fourth, third quarter, and leaves the diaper in the booth <laughs> and by the time the fourth quarter came around it was getting pretty pretty ripe uh, so that was uh, that's probably one of the worst broadcast moments of my career all right I know you have a web page is there anything do you want to promote it is there anything else you want to give yourself a plug for for giving me an hour of your time birchantley.com that's B-U-R-C-H-A-N-T-L-E-Y. Uh, pretty easy to remember. First name, last name, dot com. Twitter, same thing. Birch Antley. Uh, look me up there. Find out what I'm doing. It's going to be high school football season right around the corner, so I'll be knee-deep in that. Uh, and the invitation is always there, Logan, for you to come back to South Carolina and Columbia anytime. Well, I once again appreciate your hospitality very much. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast with Birch Antley from Columbia, South Carolina. The high school championship voice of South Carolina has done work for ESPN3 and the SEC Network Plus, among other things. And Birch, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Logan. I appreciate it. I'm humbled and honored. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can sign up on saythedamnscore.com for email notifications. You can also follow us on Stitcher or just visit the website whenever you happen to feel the wind blow and make you want to listen to the Say the Damn Score podcast. I am Logan Anderson. Thanks for tuning in, and the next time you're on the air, remember to Say the Damn Score.